I invite you now to turn in your copies of the scripture to Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31, again, hear hear the Lord's words, the word of our living God. The words of King Lemuel, the utterance which his mother taught him. What, my son, and what son of my youth, the son of my womb, and what son of my vows? Do not give your strength to women, nor your ways to that which destroys kings. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes intoxicating drink, lest they drink and forget the law, and pervert the justice of all the afflicted. Give strong drink to him who is perishing, and wine to those who are bitter of heart. Let him drink and forget his poverty, and remember his misery no more. Open your mouth for the speechless, in the cause of all who are appointed to die. Open your mouth, judge righteously, and plead the cause of the poor and needy. Who can find a virtuous wife? For her worth is far above rubies. The heart of her husband safely trusts her, so he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and willingly works with her hands. She is like the merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. She also rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and a portion for her maidservants. She considers a field and buys it. From her profit, she plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength and strengthens her arms. She perceives that her merchandise is good and her lamp does does not go out by night. She stretches out her hands to the distaff and her hand holds the spindle. She extends her hand to the poor. Yes, she reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household is clothed with scarlet. She makes tapestry for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies sashes for the merchants. Strength and honor are her clothing. She shall rejoice in time time to come, and she opens her mouth with wisdom, and on her tongue is the law of kindness." She watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord shall be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, as we consider today the length and breadth of your scriptures and how they teach us the importance of life, we pray, Father, that we would bring that understanding into the details of our lives, particularly 
those details that may soon be upon us by virtue of laws and regulations written by our civil government. Father, help us to always put You and Your Word first. Help us always to embrace that Word and hold it tightly as our own. That it may be our meat and our portion all the days of our lives. That it might guide and direct our paths as a great beam of light shone on the path of darkness ahead of us. And may we follow it and not veer to the right or to the left and fall into the pits on either side, but rather, Lord, that you would guide us through the straight and narrow way and that we would do so with great courage. Father, without the work of your Spirit in our lives, we would be lost But because of that Spirit, You guide and direct us into all truth. So Father, help us to yield to that truth in heart, soul, and mind that all our strength would be devoted to You. And we ask this in Christ's name and for His sake. Amen. Well, brethren, we've been considering the roles of women in the church. And today and next week, we'll turn our focus and look at a role that women will soon be required to assume by our increasingly godless government. The role that I'm referring to is that of women as military combatants. Both today's sermon and next week's sermon will focus on this circumstance. At our last head of household meeting, the men of the church discussed the need to consider how we as a church and how our families should respond to the imminent change in our laws that will require the women of our church to register for the selective service. Many questions need to be answered in our minds. Will we submit to that demand of our government? And if so, how far will we submit? And if not, how will we provide for the women of our church? Brethren, as you can imagine, this is no small matter. Beginning in just a few weeks, the men's Bible studies will begin again to study, and we will make this our subject matter for our studies. At the outset, we men of the church must confess that we were largely silent in the face of the the movement toward women in combat, until some of our men goaded the session to adopt a statement regarding women in the military. And we adopted that statement in October of 2013. Yes, it's nearly three years ago now. It was and is our hope that 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 the statement that we adopted would gain some acceptance in the broader church. And to a very small degree that has happened. At present, I am aware of one parachurch organization and three congregations that have adopted or are in the process of adopting our statement for themselves. This is beyond our church. It is my hope that those numbers will increase significantly as the day nears when our wives, mothers, daughters, and sisters are required to register for the selective service. 
Today's message will not be a message condemning the actions of our civil government in relentlessly moving toward this demand upon women as combatants. Cursing the darkness is one of the jobs for the preacher. I normally don't shy from that responsibility, and I'm not shying from it today. However, it is my desire today and next week to affirm the positive virtuous roles of women that should be pursued in these days when women may be tempted to assume to themselves roles that God has never given them. Though I will contrast the distinctive roles for men and women relating to military combatants over these two weeks, my primary focus will be on the affirmative role of women living lives in obedience to God in the calling for which they've been called. The session believes that consistent teaching on this subject matter will aid us in facing the ungodly demands of our culture and government. And so, both today and next week, I'll be addressing this need. Before, before looking more closely into Proverbs 31, which we'll do next week, I want us to consider some basic presuppositions from our church constitution as we turn our attention on this subject matter. The first presupposition is that the Holy Scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, God's revealed Word, are our only rule for faith and practice. In the preamble to the Constitution of our Church, eight preliminary principles are stated. One of those eight, number seven, reads as follows. All church power, whether exercised by the body in general or by representation, is only ministerial and declarative, since the Holy Scriptures are the only rule of faith and practice. No church judicatory may make laws to bind the conscience. All church courts may err through human frailty, yet it rests upon them to uphold the laws of Scripture, though this obligation be lodged with fallible men. That's one of our preliminary principles to all that we believe. Notice that this preliminary principle rests on the presupposition that the Holy Scriptures are the only rule for faith and practice. Brethren, this means that the Scriptures affirmatively teach us how we are to act and prohibits those things that are unlawful before God. Now there's another preliminary principle, principle number four, that's stated in our Constitution that bears on this subject matter as well. It reads, Godliness is founded on truth. A test of truth is its power to promote holiness according to our Savior's rule. Quote, By their fruits you shall know them. End quote. Matthew 7.20 The words of our Lord. No opinion can be more pernicious or more absurd than that which brings truth and falsehood upon the same level. On the contrary, there is an inseparable connection between faith and practice, truth and duty. Otherwise, it would be of no consequence either to discover truth or to embrace it. Brethren, from these statements we learn that the Holy Scriptures are the cornerstone or bedrock of our faith, that is, what we believe, 
as well as the arbiter of our practice, how we ought to live out what we believe. And since the Holy Scriptures are the only rule for faith and practice, and since there is an inseparable connection between faith and practice, truth and duty, according to our preliminary principles, it is incumbent upon the church and all its members to embrace with unwavering tenacity the truths taught in the Holy Scriptures, including those things that speak about military service. This is the first presupposition. Now the next presupposition is derived from those Holy Scriptures in their length and breadth. That is to say, God and His revealed words are in their essence the creation, promotion, and preservation of life. Let me say that again. This is the second presupposition. God and His revealed words are in their essence the creation of, promotion of, and preservation of life itself. Let's do a quick survey of the Scriptures. From the very first chapter of the Bible, Genesis 1, to the last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 22, the Bible speaks about God creating life, man as the image bearer of God recreating life according to the minion mandate, and Jesus Christ, the God-man, preserving life for eternity by and through his death, burial, and resurrection. You see, the breadth of Scripture, the length of it, talks about life and its importance, its creation, its recreation by man, and its preservation in Christ Jesus. This is evidenced by very simple passages that are well known to us. If we look at Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 and 28, there we find the dominion mandate. So God created man in his own image, In the image of God, he created him. It's twice said, so the emphasis God himself puts upon it. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. The triune God is the great life giver. And man was created in his image. So to rightly image the triune God, man must recreate life. Thus God created us to, quote, fill the earth and subdue it. Now we know from our studies in the Scripture that Adam failed in this pursuit. He disobeyed God and brought upon himself and all his progeny the curse of death. The last Adam, Jesus Christ, the God-man, came to earth to lift the curse and to restore man to the right position of filling the earth and subduing it in obedience to the Father. Jesus said to his disciples in John 10, verse 10, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. Notice that that's what a thief does. Steals, kills, and destroys. I have come, Jesus said, that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. 
Then in the final chapters of the Bible, a book is opened. What kind of book is it? The answer lies in its name. It's the Lamb's Book of Life. Book of Life. No less than eight times is that book mentioned in the Apostle John's Revelation. So brethren, you see, from the very first chapter of the Bible to the very last chapter, life in all its splendor, its creation, its promotion, and its preservation is a primary focus of God's revelation to us. This brings us into sharp this brings into sharp focus the cataclysmic consequences of Satan deceiving Eve and Adam's willful disobedience in opposition to God's desired will. Satan, the great deceiver, and Adam, the cowardly protector and defender of Eve, both of their actions brought about a curse on the entire creation, that which was created by the benevolent hands of the triune God. Life was dramatically interrupted. It was interrupted with death. Nevertheless, God's plans and purposes will not be thwarted. In the midst of the curse, and from death itself, life springs forth. Jesus' death brings life to that cursed world. In Christ's death, the curse is lifted from us, and we are restored to the place where we can once again recreate, promote, and preserve life. So you see, despite Satan's best efforts, despite Adam's sin, despite Eve's duplicity, God brings life to even a cursed creation. So how does all this relate to men's and women's roles in the military and in military conflicts? I would submit to you that the Bible says much about man's roles in military conflict, and the Bible is virtually silent about women's roles. I would also assert that that's intentional. Thus, we as the children of God must be careful on how we approach this issue. We must yield to the Scriptures at each point. We must not go beyond the Scriptures, nor should we dismiss the clear teachings of Scripture. We must walk the straight and narrow path of truth and not fall into the ditches on either side of that road. Therefore, I would like us first to consider the roles of men in the military. And by way of disclaimer, I have not the time to consider every single detail of men's roles in the military, but we will consider some very important passages to speak to those roles. And then I will contrast those portions of didactic teaching for us with women's roles. And next week we will do that in greater measure as we look at Proverbs 31. But for today's study, let's turn now to Numbers chapter 1. We'll recall that this is one of the Pentateuch books, one of the books that Moses wrote for the people of Israel by the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And at the beginning of that book, there, in those first three verses, we see that God is having the people of Israel counted. And there's a very small phrase that's very pungent and, and important 
in that portion that I want us to take note of. Numbers chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the tabernacle of meeting on the first day of the second month in the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt, saying, Take a census of all the congregation of the children of Israel by their families, by their fathers' houses, according to the number of names, every male individually. I want to pause there. The census is to be done by household. The men were to be counted. Then in verse 3, from 20 years old and above, all who are able to go to war in Israel, you and Aaron shall number them by their armies. So what significance is that? Notice, that at 20 years of age and older, men were able to go to war. But not all men, and we'll see who were excluded from that number in just a moment. But the threshold for warriors was 20 years of age. Now, if you will turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 20, I'm going to be reading through the entire chapter, we get further details about warriors. beginning in verse 1, Deuteronomy chapter 20. When you go out to battle against your enemies and see horses and chariots and people more numerous than you, do not be afraid of them, for the Lord your God is with you, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. So it shall be when you are on the verge of battle that the priest shall approach and speak to the people. And he shall say to them, Hear, O Israel, Today you are on the verge of battle with your enemies. Do not let your heart faint. Do not be afraid and do not tremble or be terrified because of them. For the Lord your God is He who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies, to save you. Then the officer shall speak to the people saying, What man is there who has built a new house and has not dedicated it? Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in the battle, and another man dedicate it. Also, what man is there who has painted a, or planted a vineyard and has not eaten of it? Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in the battle, and another man eat of it. And what man is there who is betrothed to a woman and has not married her? Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in the battle, and another man marry her. The officer shall speak further to the people and say, What man is there who is fearful and faint-hearted? Let him go and return to his house, lest the heart of his brethren faint like his heart. And so it shall be, when the officers have finished speaking to the people, that they shall make captains of the armies to lead the people. When you go near a city to fight against it, then proclaim an offer of peace to it. And it shall be that if they accept your offer of peace and open to you, then all the people who are found in it shall be placed under tribute to you and serve you. Now if the city shall not make peace with you, but shall war against you, you shall besiege it. And when the Lord your God delivers it into your hands, you shall strike every male in it 
with the edge of the sword. But the women, the little ones, the livestock, and all that is in the city, all its spoils you shall plunder for yourself. And you shall eat the enemy's plunder, which the Lord your God gives you. Thus you shall do to all the cities which are very far from you, which are not the cities of these nations. But of the cities of these peoples, which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance, you shall let nothing that breathes remain alive. But you shall entirely destroy them, the Hittite and the Amorite, the Canaanite and the Perizzite, and the Hivite and the Jebusite, just as the Lord your God has commanded you. Lest they teach you to do according to all their abominations, which they have done for their gods, and you sin against the Lord your God. When you besiege a city for a long time while making war against it to take it, you shall not destroy its trees by wielding an axe against them. If you can't eat of them, do not cut them down to use in the siege, for the tree of the field is man's food. Only the trees which you know are not trees for food you may destroy and cut down to build siege works against the city that makes war with you until it is subdued. Now, why do I read all of that? Well, first, let's notice that in the first ten or so verses, we have a description of men who are able to go to war and yet must be stopped from going to war for various reasons. The first is a man who's built a house but hasn't lived in it. The fruits of his hands are to be enjoyed by living, living in the house. Life has to take place in the house because it's been created for that very purpose, to protect and preserve life. So God wants that place honored. Well, you say it's just a building. Well, it's far more than a building to God. It's a place where life will be preserved. And it was built for that purpose. But what about the next man? He's planted a vineyard, but he hasn't tasted of the fruits of his labor. Why? Well, he's about to go off to war. No, 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 God says. There is life in that vineyard. I am producing life with that vineyard and I want it the benefit of it given to the man who's planted it. I want him to taste of it first. I want him to taste the first fruits of it. Life itself. Does that point to our Savior? The first fruits of our salvation who gave His blood a ransom for many that we taste of it? The very fruit of God? Soon we will taste of it even this day once again. But this is life-giving stuff. And God wants that preserved and tasted by the man who's planted that vineyard. And then next, what about the man who's betrothed but has not, and is, uh, has not had the fruits and the benefits of marriage yet? Is he to go off to war to give his life on the edge of this beautiful relationship being consummated? No. Stay home, God says. Make life. That's the assumption here. 
We have to learn to read the story the way it's presented to us, right? It doesn't give us all the... It doesn't tell us all the details. This is what this means. This means we're supposed to think about life being regenerated, recreated in the, in the man and woman coming together. We, we, that's reading between the lines here, and I think it's okay. We're, we're supposed to assume these things. That's why this whole story is being told this way. This whole account. What about the guy who's faint of heart? Now think about this man. He's not as courageous as another man. He's not given to warfare. He's not willing to take up that, that weapon, whether it be in defense of his own family or his country, or offensively taking the battle to an enemy that wants to destroy him and his family and his people. Is he to go to war? No. Leave him home. Why? Why did we leave that man home? Because his fear is a cancer to other men. It will proliferate. And their lives will become risked, will be at risk because of his fear. And God says, I don't want that. Don't let fearful men go to battle. Because they will threaten the lives of their compatriots. Do you see how God is... Even how He teaches us to make war. Life is is the the overriding emphasis. The preservation of life is the overriding emphasis here. Oh, Chuck, you're reading too much into it. Am I? Am I? Let's go to the end of the chapter. Verse 19, When you besiege a city for a long time while making war against it to take it, you shall not destroy its trees by wielding an axe against them. If you can eat of them, do not cut them down to use them in siege, for the tree of the field is man's food. Only the trees which you know are not trees for food you may destroy and cut down and build siege works against the city that makes war with you until it is subdued. God is so so convinced that we have to be careful about life itself, even in the midst of war, he tells us what trees we can cut down to make war with. And if it's a pear tree or a pecan tree, an apple tree, an orange tree, a lemon tree, an avocado, it doesn't matter if it bears fruit that can be consumed, it's to be preserved because it sustains life. Maple trees, oak trees, those trees, you can make war with those trees. But those that give life, you're to preserve. You see the emphasis that God gives even in the midst of these things? Now, notice, did you notice how many women were supposed to go to war? Do you you remember how many were supposed to be counted in the census of those who go to war 20 years and age of an older, who are to make up the armies of Israel, the end of verse 3 of Numbers chapter 1. Did you, did you see that reference? I think that's intentional. When God created Eve, He created her to produce fruit. A garden within the garden. 
And Adam should have defended her against Satan, and he failed. Men, we failed our wives. We failed our daughters. We have failed our mothers. Have we demanded of our own government that we protect these women? How have we done that? Have we sought positions of leadership in our own government to protect our wives and our daughters? If for no other reason, just for that one reason, have we done it? I'm one among many who is guilty. I am one among many. And soon, likely next year, the government's going to come for our wives, our daughters, our sisters, and for the young children of our church, their mothers, to take upon themselves this mantle that belongs to men. At every turn in the Scripture, when combatants are spoken of, whether it be their age, or their type of combatants, or the circumstances in which they make war, nowhere does God speak of women participating. Ah, but you say, what about Deborah and her circumstance? I'll deal with that next week. We've already dealt with it some just a few weeks ago. We'll go back there. What is the calling for women? What is their calling? It is not to take up arms, but it's to preserve life. It is to create life. It is to enhance life. In many respects, women are better suited, better suited to keep the culture the cultural mandate that God has given us to fill the earth and subdue it. And we'll see that from Proverbs 31. I want to leave you with a passage from Deuteronomy again, chapter 20. I've said that the length and breadth of the Scriptures talk about the creation of life, It's recreation by man as image bearers of God. The promoting of life and then the preservation of it for eternity as Christ does for us in His resurrection. Excuse me, not Deuteronomy 20, but Deuteronomy chapter 30. At the end of the giving of the law here and a recounting of the blessings and curses that come Blessings to those who keep the law and cursings to those who fail to keep the law. Moses records these words. Beginning in verse 
18 of chapter 30. I announce to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land which cross over the Jordan to go in and possess it. That's for those who do not keep the laws of God. And then verse 19, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey His voice, and that you may cling to Him. For He is your life and the length of your days, and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, now known as Israel, to give you. Brethren, All things are established with two or three witnesses according to the Scriptures. And God says, I announce to you today that you shall surely perish if you don't keep My commandments. But He calls heaven and earth as witnesses today against you. You who are named by the name of God. You who are part of the covenant that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. Gentlemen, it's time to rise up and be courageous. To obey the Lord our God's commands. To be the champions our women need. to work diligently against those who would threaten their lives, whether they be foreign enemies or domestic governments, that we might preserve life as the people of God. I weep. I weep for my daughters. For my granddaughter. For your daughters. For your granddaughters. For your wives. Gentlemen, we have to act. Now next week, I intend to encourage the women of our church to stay the course in their calling. To not waver. To be courageous too. It may cost them more than it costs us men. That should never be. But by faith, faith in the God who delivers, the one who brought your ancestors out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, who delivered them from that oppression and that tyranny, who sent the Savior Jesus Christ, our God who sent the Savior Jesus Christ to provide for us a life, and not just a little bit of life, but abundant life that shall be for eternity. That's whom we trust. So as Deuteronomy 20 says, the priest is to go ahead 
of the men heading into battle. Gentlemen, I'm with you. And we're to remind ourselves that we, we, we serve the God who delivers and vanquishes His enemies, delivers us dramatically and vanquishes His enemies. And we're going to put our trust there. And we're going to act on those things with wisdom and discernment. For God's honor, His glory, and the benefit of the women of our church. Let us pray together.